0: Good morning, my name is Anna, and I'm reading our Bible passage today, and um, we're reading from Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while, because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her as my wife? Now, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him,
1: and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Hello, Hello uh, everybody uh, joining online. It's great to be uh, here with you. My name's Matt. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the student ministers here at church. Now, if you were to receive God's blessing in your life, what would that look like for you? What would it take for you to be considered blessed by God? Maybe right now for you as we are come into lockdown and another week, um, a bit unsure about what the next little while is going to look like. Uh, maybe you're feeling particularly lonely or uh, yeah, just isolated. Maybe you haven't been able to see loved ones uh, for a while. Maybe for you being blessed at the moment would just simply being able to see somebody face to face again. Maybe for you, you're struggling financially at this time and so being blessed by God in your life would look like financial stability, an income, a regular income or maybe debts paid off. Maybe it would be uh, the healing of sickness or a chronic illness that's been weighing you down for years on end. Maybe it would be a loved one who uh, has been ill for a while becoming well again. What would it be for you if you were to receive God's blessing in your life? Well, as we start our new series today in the book of Genesis, we're looking at the life of Abraham. And today, as we look in Genesis 12, we're going to see what it looks like for Abram to be blessed by God. And therefore, what it means for us to be blessed as well. So how would I pray, and then we'll jump into the passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the chance to meet together, uh, to sit under your word and to learn more about who you are as our God. Lord, we ask this today that you will uh, please help us to have ears to hear. Uh, please help us uh, to uh, yeah, learn more about uh, what you've done for us. And we pray you'll help us to walk away from today, growing in our love and knowledge of you and looking more and more like Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're starting our new series today in the book of Genesis and looking at the life of Abraham. And so as we jump into Genesis 12 this morning, I thought I'd do a quick recap of the first 11 chapters just to get us up to speed with where we're at in the narrative. And so Genesis 1 to 11, as a lot of you probably know, pretty famous. They have some big events uh, that go on. And the first one, of course, is creation. God creates the whole world in Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 3, we see the four, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God, they disobey Him and the result is punishment. The punishment of death and being cast out of the garden. Unfortunately for humanity, it doesn't get much better uh, after that. We see Cain kill his brother Abel in the next part of Genesis. And then, Humanity's wickedness becomes so bad that, Noah, that God has to wipe them out with a flood and keep Noah and his family almost restarting again through Noah. And then we move to Genesis chapter 11 and we see humanity again rebelling against God, trying to make a name for themselves as they build the Tower of Babel, only for them to be scattered across the face of the whole earth. And so at this stage of Genesis, humanity is not going too well, is it? They're scattered, they're all speaking different languages, they're separate from one another. And then seemingly, out of the blue, we come to this guy, Abram. Let's have a look, let's jump into it. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, this chapter, it begins with three of what could probably be the most important verses in the whole Bible. Actually, not just the whole Bible, but the whole of human history. Because these verses shape how God deals with humanity as He carries out the promises that He makes in these verses. What are these promises that the Lord makes to Abram? Well, the first promise we see is the promise of land. God calls Abram to go from his land, to leave his relatives, to go to the land that God will show him. And God doesn't even give uh, a specific place to go yet. He just says, keep walking until I say stop. Now talk about uncertain times, right? I mean, we don't know what the next few weeks will look like, but how about Abram? He doesn't even know where he's been asked to go. It's just get up, get going, and I'll tell you when to stop. It would take a fair bit of courage, wouldn't it, to leave your home and your family to go someplace far off. But this is what God asked Abram to do. Secondly, we see the promise of descendants. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. This is a pretty outrageous promise, isn't it? One guy being made into a whole nation. It's a big promise for any person. But actually, after you read chapter 11 of Genesis, we see it's an even bigger promise to Abram. Chapters 11, uh, verse 27 and 30, we see that Abram, well, he doesn't even have children yet. This guy who's meant to become a great nation doesn't have someone uh, to keep on the family name. Not only that, we're actually told his wife, Sarah, well, she's unable to conceive. And so suddenly this promise, it doesn't just seem a bit far-fetched, it actually seems impossible, doesn't it? We know already that God is going to have to do something miraculous to fulfil these promises. And thirdly, we see the promise of blessing. Verse 2, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the dominating uh, promise, isn't it, of these verses? You see, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the word for blessing it appears five times in these 11 chapters. And yet, in these three verses alone, it also appears five times. It's clearly a big part of what is going on in this passage. But what will it mean for Abram to be blessed by God? Well, we see, don't we, that it seems like it's going to involve having his name made great. But it's not just about that, it's not about Abraham becoming great... It's also uh, about people blessing Abraham in some way, not just God. And it's also about Abram blessing people somehow. Is it being blessed with wealth and power? I think when we think of blessing in this world today, that's that's some of the things that come to mind. Having lots of money, having power, having status. Is that what it means for Abram to be blessed? I think that's a part of it. I think... Uh, In Abram's day, uh, if his name was to be made great, if people were to know who Abram was, well then, he would have wealth and power that comes with uh, this respect and esteem. He would have material blessings that make it obvious that he has been blessed by God. But it's not just material blessings, is it? Because God promises that all the families of the earth will have access to this blessing. And so it can't be purely material and physical if all the families of the world can have this blessing. Because God's promise is not going to stop with Abram. His blessing is going to overflow and impact other people. We're going to keep thinking about this blessing a bit later on. But we do see, don't we, that Abram, he seems to be this focal point of the blessing that God is giving him. How you treat Abram, well, that's going to determine the way that you're going to be treated by God. The call of Abram, (coughs) sorry, the call of Abram and the promises we see here, it's the beginning of God's gracious plan to reverse this curse of Babel after people have been separated, to unite them again. God's plan is to bless all the nations all the descendants of Noah, all these people who have been scattered across the earth, God is going to bless these nations through Abram. These promises, they're not just about the people of Israel, no, it's God's favour going out to all. And so it's worth asking the question, why start with Abram? I mean, God could have picked any guy, right? Maybe he could have picked someone who already had some sons and daughters, some people to carry on his family name. Or surely at least he could have picked someone who had a wife who was able to conceive at all. Why Abram? Was Abram somehow uh, more obedient, more uh, righteous than others? Was he a guy that God knew You know, I'll tell these promises to Abram because he's the sort of guy that will get it done. He'll make sure these promises are fulfilled. Well, how about we have a look? We'll see the way Abram responds to the promises. See if he holds up to the task that he's been given. Verse 4, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the side of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. What does Abram do? Well, he went, doesn't he? As the Lord told him to, he goes. He packs up everything and he leaves. That's, that's a pretty good start, right? God's told him to go, to leave his family and his land and to go into the unknown. It's a pretty gutsy move, and yet we see Abram does it. Maybe he's the right guy to fulfill these promises. He seems to trust God. He doesn't just trust Him with word. He actually lives it out. He goes into the land. He even builds altars to the Lord in those lands. And then we get to the second half of this chapter. And this is where it starts to go wrong for Abram. We read, don't we, that there was a famine in the land. And so Abram goes to Egypt to get food. And as he goes into Egypt, he makes a decision that has the potential to derail all these promises. Have a look at verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. So Abram, what does he do? Well, he says that he wants to let people know that Sarai is actually his sister, not his wife. Now, you might be thinking, well, Abram, he's done a good thing, right? Hasn't he? He's protecting himself. He's making sure that he's alive so that these promises can be fulfilled. Except, what about his wife? Poor old Sarah, she's, uh, she's going into Egypt and she's being uh, yeah, said that she isn't married anymore to this guy, but rather his sister. What's she supposed to do? What if some Egyptian wants to marry her? See, the wife of the man who was meant to become a great nation the one through whom the offspring was to be born, if she's married off to somebody else, well, we're in a bit of trouble, aren't we? How is Abram going to become a great nation? It's a really bad situation for Sarai to find herself in. It's not just a little dumb mistake by Abram. He is really dangerous. It is a stupid thing to have done. You see, for Abram, we actually see a clear lack of trust, don't we? He doesn't stay in the land and trust that God would provide for him in the famine. He doesn't trust that God would protect him and Sarai in Egypt when he does go there. In fact, I think even bringing his nephew Lot with him sort of suggests that maybe Abram's hedging his bets a little bit, hoping just, I'll bring someone who's part of my family just in case uh, it doesn't go well for me. He doesn't trust that God would fulfill the promises that he had made to Abram. Abram, he'd made a really stupid decision, one that could jeopardize everything. Maybe you're thinking, surely as, as the husband, as the head of the family, as the one that uh, God has chosen, how could he be so dumb? Well, as you probably know, just because Abram is the head of his family, just because he's a husband, and it, it doesn't make him... Uh, infallible, doesn't it? It doesn't mean he isn't going to do stupid things. I can speak to that from experience. I remember actually very early on in my marriage, on our honeymoon, one of the earliest times of me having to be a husband and lead the family. Uh, we just got off the plane in Port Douglas and uh, I went over to the car hire place where we'd pre-booked a car to travel around and uh, I got to the desk, I had to get my MasterCard out to put a deposit down Uh, in case anything went wrong with the car. But being young and uh, only making small transactions for most of my life, I'd always just use PayWave, tap and go. I couldn't remember the pin for my card to pay for the car. And I looked pretty stupid. And we spent the next half an hour or so making phone calls to my parents and the bank and trying to find the pin, even practicing it on the ATM just to see if it would work but to no avail and uh, we had to cancel that booking and rebook through Chloe who actually knew the pin for her card and it all worked out in the end, but it made me look pretty stupid. And that is just the tip of the iceberg for me. Now, I may have done plenty of dumb things and I'm sure I'm going to cont- keep doing dumb things, but I guess there has to be some uh, sort of um, compromise, right? I, I don't have the weight of Uh, one of the most important promises ever to be uh, given, resting on my leadership skills, right? Well, thankfully, we actually see that the promises God has made to Abram, they're not resting on Abram's leadership skills either. Now, we see that these promises God has made rest on God, on His leadership skills. We see that God actually works through Abram's stupidity and dumb decisions to not only fulfill the promises, but actually to bless Abraham even more. Have a look in verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels." But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her as my wife. Now here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. So somehow out of all that, stupidity, and a really bad decision, Abraham actually gets to keep all these blessings that Pharaoh has given to him. Not only that, but Sarah, his wife, is returned to him as his wife. You see, God is working through Abram, despite Abram, to fulfill his promises. <coughs> In this episode, it actually sets the pattern for the development of the promise in the rest of Genesis. As you keep reading on in the next uh, chapters to come, you keep seeing that Abram, he makes dumb decisions. He does things that keep threatening the fulfillment of the promises. And yet you keep seeing God working despite Abram to overcome these threats. Abram actually shows himself to be just like you and me. He believes that God can and will keep his promises, but his actions don't always line up with his beliefs. Abraham showed he was unreliable, but God is completely reliable. He keeps overcoming Abraham's unreliability time and time again. And so we see that the key to the fulfillment of these promises lies in God's faithfulness. That's why, right at the start, in those first three verses, God says five times, I will. I will, I will, I will. God is the one. He is the one who will make these things happen. He is the one who will fulfill these promises. But how do we see these promises fulfilled? Well, let's start with the fulfillment of the promise of land. See, for lots of people, the land that is promised to Abram well, it's the land that Israel entered under Joshua. The land of Palestine, the city of Jerusalem, this piece of land in the Middle East. Well, many Jews, and actually many Christians, they still believe that this piece of land is what the uh, God is talking about in this promise. People think that when this land is restored to God's people, that is when the promise will be fulfilled. And yeah, the promise that this land was really important to people in the Old Testament, to God's people especially. But is it what Abram was talking about when he received these promises? Well, let's have a look. We're going to do a bit of Bible flicking. Come to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10 to 16. I'll read it out for us. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. We see, don't we, that Abraham thought that the land, the city... He knew that it was actually about the heavenly city. Abraham knew that this promise would be fulfilled when he reached his eternal dwelling with God. When he arrived at the city that God had prepared for him in heaven. And this is a city that we are to look forward to as well. I mean, we live in a pretty great country of Australia, don't we? We live in a pretty great city here in Sydney. I mean, it's no Newcastle, but it's still pretty good. But it's not where we belong, is it? We too are waiting for the promised heavenly city where we get to spend eternity with God. That is the fulfillment of this promise of land, being in heaven with God. Now, how about the promise of offspring? Well, let's come and have a look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. <coughs> the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. How is the promise of offspring fulfilled to Abram? Not in thousands of descendants and who share his DNA, although we see that that does occur. Now, Galatians is saying that the promise of offspring is fulfilled in one man, in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of this promise, just like every other promise that we hear in the Bible, is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the descendant of Abram, the one seed that brings all the fulfillment of the promises for the rest of us. Jesus fulfills these promises through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, through his ascension to the right hand of God. And you see, this also helps us to understand the fulfillment of the blessing. In Acts chapter 3, we read, it's just after Jesus has died and rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of God and the apostles, they're speaking about Jesus. They're they're speaking to the Jews in particular. They're saying, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the one who was promised to you long ago. He's come, he's died, he's risen. He's shown that he is the Chosen One, the Son of God. Except the Jewish leaders, they're not too happy that they're saying this. But read what Peter says to them in Acts chapter 3, verse 25. (coughs) Sorry. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up His servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter says that, you know, those promises that God made about blessing all the nations. Well, you guys, the Jews, God's actually blessed you first. How has he blessed you? Well, he's blessed you with the chance to repent for your sins so that you can be saved. Is that what you thought the blessings might be about? That's the blessing of God that you most need. And yet I think it's the one that we often least value. The opportunity to repent of your sin so that you can be saved by Jesus into a relationship with God. This is the blessing that we have received. The most important blessing God can give is to allow sinners to repent of their sin and find salvation in Jesus. This is the true blessing of God. What do you think about that blessing? Are you underwhelmed by it? A bit disappointed maybe? Did you hope it was going to be something a bit more glamorous, a bit shinier, a bit, something you could hold on to a bit more, something a bit more tangible? Well, if you think that, if you think that you prefer something a bit shinier, well, maybe you've failed to understand the riches of the salvation that is offered. Because if you think that this is not as desirable as the things of this world, well, then you've missed the point of salvation. The blessing, the best blessing is not wealth, it's not success, it's not even health or relationships. The best blessing we can receive is to be able to repent of our sin and have a relationship with the true and living God. You see, this is how the nations become blessed by God, not just the Jews. It's through Jesus' salvation that it's made possible. So how do the nations get the promise? Well, the nations get the promise, the bless, the promise of blessing as by being inheritors of Abraham's promises. You need to be related to Abraham, right? To be part of his family, to receive this blessing. And so, what's the key to being related to Abraham? Is it being a Jew? Is it being circumcised to show that you're part of that family? Well, no. Let's have another look at a different part of the Bible in Galatians 3, verse 7 to 9. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The way you inherit the promises is to share in the faith of Abraham. God has kept his promise to Abraham. He's kept his promise to all the families of the earth. He has fulfilled them now in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And so we too have the blessing available to us. The blessing of being able to repent and trust in Jesus have the blessing that God has promised to this world. See, by faith we now can participate in these blessings. It's blessing of having life with him, with God. Salvation with God. Having a home with God. We have this blessing because Jesus has fulfilled these promises for us. Friends, never underestimate this blessing. Don't settle for cheap imitations like health, wealth and success. You see, as we face the time of uncertainty, we can trust God that we have this blessing, the opportunity for salvation because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus has died, he has risen, and he has ascended to be at the right hand of God, ruling for eternity. We too have the sure hope of this blessing. We have the opportunity to repent of our sin and have salvation in Jesus. How would I pray and ask that God to help us to do that now. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that through his life, death and resurrection, all the promises are fulfilled in him. We we'll thank you that the promises you made to Abram of land, of offspring and of blessing, that we get to participate in these blessings, in these promises because of what Jesus has done. Lord, we'll thank you that we don't have to be related Uh, to Abraham in a uh, physical sense. Well, thank you that we are joined together as your people by faith, by Jesus' death to pay for our sin, by his resurrection to show that we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. Well, we pray that you'll help us to keep trusting you, to keep trusting in this great promise of your blessing. Lord, help us not to cling to the things of this world, but to run quickly to you. We ask that you'll keep growing us to look more like Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.